Coaches, how are you again? Coach Kevin Furtado, Championship Vision. Today is episode 92 of the Championship Vision podcast. Today, uh, I'm interviewing Coach Will Ray. He's the head basketball coach at Northridge Preparatory School in Niles, Illinois. Um, let's tell you a little bit about Coach Ray. And I, I tell you, it's such a treat to coach the, to interview these great high school coaches. Uh, this guy's had a fabulous career, and he's continuing to build greatness into young men and and to help out coaches. He has 43 seasons as, as men's basketball coach, 23 in high school and 19 in college. As a high school head coach, Northridge, from 2004 to now the present, he was at Fenwick High School from 1982 to 85 and Cretemone High School in 1980 to 82. 351 high school varsity wins in 20 seasons. Average of 18 wins per season. The Northridge boys, Bittman, uh, boys basketball has 170 boys in the high school. Northridge average ACT score is 28. The Northridge overall record is 286 and 144, a 665 winning percentage. Conference 140 and 42. Northridge boys basketball championships. He has five Illinois high school. Association Regionals 2008, 2009, 2010, 2014, 2015. Three conference championships 2009, 2013, 2018. Five holiday tournaments 2004, 2008, 2011, 2012, 2018. And two Super 16 IHSA appearances 2009, 2015. Here are some of Northridge boys basketball uh, programs winning streaks. 13-0, undefeated home in 2011-2012. That's a school first. 15 straight wins, 2008-2009, school first. 14 straight wins, 2017-2018. 12-0, undefeated conference champ, 2017-18, another school first. Here's some of the Coach of the Year awards Coach Ray has. Five IBCA District 4 Awards, 2009, 2014, 15, and 18. Five conference awards, 2007, 2008, 2013, 2017, and 18. One Rich South Big Dipper Classic Coach of the Tournament in 1981. <clears throat> He's also in the following Halls of Fame. Chicago Catholic Athletically, 2017. The Illinois Basketball Coaches Association, 2015. And Five Star Basketball Camp in 2005. Also, he received the Sports Faith International Lifetime Coaching Achievement Award in 2010. The University of Evansville assistant from 1995 to 89 to coach Jim Cruz. Two conference championships, second round Division I NCAA NIT tournaments, 35 game home winning streak, top 25 national ranking. At Loyola University of Chicago, he was the head coach from 1989 to 94. He defeated national programs such as Notre Dame, Purdue, Wisconsin, Butler, Dayton, Northwestern, and St. Louis. At Wright State University, he was an assistant coach from 1997 to 2003 to current Indiana University assistant coach Ed Schelling. Back-to-back 18 and 17 win seasons. Wins over 8th ranked and 2000 NCAA champion Michigan State and 20th ranked and undefeated Butler Bulldogs at Hinkle Fieldhouse. He was also a Gordon Tech assistant from 1976 to 1980 to former longtime NBA coach Bob Osipa. 
<clears throat> he was the IHSA 2A Elite 8 appearance, two Sweet 16 appearances, the lower-level Rams through 53-13 and 13 overall record, two Chicago Catholic League championships. Coach Ray is a resident coach, administrator, and lecturer for nearly 30 years at nationally renowned five-star basketball camp. He has produced 11 basketball instructional DVDs sold worldwide by the nation's leading distributors of coaching education resources, championship production, Cisco's, and Breakthrough Basketball. He's a lecturer at dozens of national coaching clinics, including those sponsored by PGC Glazier, USA Coaches, Medalist Industries, Illinois Basketball Coaches Association, Wisconsin Basketball Coaches Association, Breakthrough Basketball, the Hoosier School of Basketball, and Ignite Hoops. He has authored coaching journals for Winning Hoops, Courtside, and Coach and Player Magazine. He serves as Northridge Athletic Director and member of the school's Administrative Council. He and wife of 42 years, Diane, have three grown children and five grandchildren. Coaches, it's a treat. Um, what I love about Coach Ray is he's so transparent and available to coaches like myself. So I can contact him, talk to him about um, you know, maybe his spot offense that um, I used to run or maybe his you know, 1-3-1 one, one zone. Um, and this is what I love about coaches like this. He's willing to share. And I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. Coach Will Ray. Coach Ray, welcome to our podcast. Hi, Coach. Hey, Kevin. All right. Good, good. How's that sound? Excellent. Yeah, coming through loud and clear. All right. Great, great. Sometimes, you know, it's like putting in a new offense. Sometimes, sometimes you got to grind it out, figure yeah. it out. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes it's uh, it's a test of perseverance. <laughs> exactly. I think, yeah, I think all of coaching is like that. Um, hey, thank you again for coming on. I've always been a big fan. I got a lot of your videos, and I've studied you for a while. Um, but, uh, hey, tell us a little bit about – tell our listeners a little bit about your 30-year coaching career. And it might be more than that. I think I had down 30 years and how you created this great passion for the game and the journey you're as becoming a basketball coach. Well, you know, first of all, thanks for asking me to be on your on your program, Kevin. I, I listened to some of your podcasts and have been very impressed with the job you're doing. And I think it's great that you're trying to help coaches as much as anything. And uh, the more we can do to help each other in this profession, I think the better the profession gets. So thank you for having me on as one of your guests. I actually, uh, I'm actually my 43rd year of coaching right now. And you know, the, I think that's right, 43. And um, it's been a great journey. Uh, obviously, no journey is without its uh, obstacles and its, uh, you know, rough rough spots on the road and also some great moments. But I, I can honestly say that I've never had an opportunity to look back and say that I wish I'd have done something differently or, you know, tried to do something else professionally. I got into coaching because I always saw uh, the profession as having a great opportunity to impact the lives of young people. And um, that's, I always felt that that sports and coaches had impacted me in a significant way as I was growing up. And I wanted to be in that position to help others. And so coaching has been a wonderful way to do that. Uh, basketball's a game that I, started playing 
as a young guy and also played baseball and really played year round all the different sports growing up. But I developed a certain affinity for basketball, largely because of the team concept of the game. Uh, there's something about the, uh, the there's an attraction to basketball when it's played well. I think it requires incredible unselfishness and team play in order to, to make, like someone once said, it's almost poetry in motion. So the game of basketball really attracted me for those reasons. So it's been a great journey. I've, I've, I've enjoyed it. And I can honestly say I, I've never felt that I've worked one day for a living. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the same way. I, I definitely, of course I, I, I teach K five, uh, PE and I feel like I'm really getting paid for this. I absolutely love it. It, make, it keeps me young for sure. Um, and I'm sure it's the same thing for you over your years. I apologize for taking 13 years off your career. I, I gave you 30. <laughs> well, you know what? There's about 13 of those years I'd like to have back because, <laughs> uh, you know, my career has been one of learning from my own mistakes, right? You know, and and that's how we grow. And uh, so there's a few years that I wish I could maybe done things differently or, you know, whatever. And but that's all part of the growth process. And um Anyway, it's it's been a, it's been a great run. Absolutely. Hey, I, I've have I have now a lot of mentors that I can just call and just ask them. You know, hey, what's going on? Come to my practice. I think that's so important, don't you think, Coach? And yeah. I want to know who your mentors are. You've had a lot of success, but I, I guarantee you got some great people that have been basically consultants and advisors for you, right? Absolutely. And you know, I, I remember reading somewhere that I, I believe it was Abraham Lincoln said that I've learned something from every man I've met. Sometimes it's been what not to do, you know, and, and that's how I've tried. I've tried to always learn something from everyone that whose paths have crossed with mine. And in some cases it's been coaches that I've worked with directly on a day-to-day -day basis. Others that I've read about or read uh, things they've written and I've always tried to learn something from everyone, but really uh, some of my most uh, significant mem mentors, one of them was Jim Cruz, uh, the head basketball coach at the University of Evansville. He, he, um, he hired me in 1985 to be his assistant. I was a high school coach at that time for eight years. And Jim, uh, when he became the head coach at Evansville, after serving as an assistant at Indiana under Coach Knight, also played for Coach Knight uh, for four years on that 76th National Championship team. He hired me as one of his assistants, and th that uh, was a great opportunity to learn so much about coaching and about um, the game itself, but also about how to really uh, run a program with incredible integrity and honesty. Uh, he, he was just a great mentor to me. You know, I've also learned from people like Coach K at Duke, uh, he, he was a, a great mentor of mine as well when I was coming up the ranks. Met him at a real young age and when he was uh, the coach at West Point and uh, had a couple of players that I coached in high school play for him at Duke. And, and so he, he was a great mentor. And then John Wooden. I, I, I think I've read just about everything that he's written or that has been written about him. And he was a great mentor as well. And then there, there have been others, coaches that I've worked with and um, guys that I've worked with in high school and worked for, uh, Bob Osipka at Gordon Tech High School was an early mentor, and there have been many. 
Yes, absolutely. And I, I also want to, I want to talk about Illinois basketball because I have my, my boss, uh, our CEO of our school here is, is, is uh, Otho Tucker. You, I don't know if you oh, know the name. A- a- absolutely. Do you, okay. <laughs> Great. Yeah, a- absolutely. In fact, uh, I recall seeing him play. I'm trying to, re- I'm trying to remember now. I mean, that's, that's a name out of the, pa- uh, the past. Did he, did he play at Illinois? He did. Yes, sir. Yeah, a matter of fact, I've heard every story about Illinois. Uh, we, I go into his office and just pick his brain and stuff like that. And it's like, this guy has done a lot and, um, but he loves the game and he always shares with me about Illinois basketball. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And, and I, I sur- surely remember the name and, and it was, in, I think in the seventies, I would, I would have to say, right. I, I mean, uh, yes, gosh, you're, you're jogging, you're jogging my memory. You're, you're, I'm starting to show my age a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> You know, yeah, he, he was he was a heck of a player, and I, I remember uh, I remember watching him play. Please, please yeah. tell him that that, that that we still remember him in, in the state of Illinois. I'll do that. Matter of fact, I just saw him at the barbershop not too, about 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 an hour or two ago, and so forth. So um, I'll definitely tell him that. Um, and I have interviewed some other coaches from Illinois, and talk about the great. I love the Midwest tradition of basketball. I know Georgia has talent out here. I love the Illinois, Kentucky, Indiana. I just love the basketball out there. Tell us a little bit about the tradition of Illinois basketball. Well, it's it's obviously very deeply rooted in uh, in the state tournament. In fact, uh, I think uh, Illinois high school basketball lays claim to the, being the original March Madness. I think uh, someone did a research on that and actually, uh, you know, found it. Illinois had, had actually coined that long before it was used on a national level, re, uh, referring to the NCAA tournament. But, uh, you know, high school basketball in Illinois, Indiana, I mean, I spent four years, as I said, at, at Evansville. And, you know, uh, just the passion and the small communities and, you know, the Hoosier story, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's Americana. H- high school basketball on a Friday night, uh, you know, the, the, t- the town uh, – you know, closes down the stores early and everybody's at the game. And then the next morning, everybody's out to breakfast or at the barbershop talking about the, the game the night before. And, you know, obviously a lot of that is, is, um, is, is bolstered by, by the great players that have played in Illinois. But I think more than anything else, it's just the uh, traditional rivalries and, and just the history that, that goes back uh, really to the turn of the century, I believe. And um, so, yeah, great, great passion, great interest. I'll also say this, as, as good as Illinois high school basketball is, I, I, was, I was shocked when I uh, worked at Evansville and went to high school basketball games in, in Indiana. Kevin, I've never seen anything like it. You'd walk in the gym, and the gym is packed. Both, uh, both fans, both, both sets of fans are, are screaming and rooting at the top of their lungs, and, and you, you know, look at the records, and both teams are losing records for the season, you know. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just a, there's just a, a fan appeal uh, in the Midwest. Uh, I think that's unmatched anywhere in the country. And I, I spent seven years in Ohio also, and in Ohio high school basketball is much the same. So great tradition, you know, Kentucky. I spent a lot of time recruiting there, and it's just, um, yeah, there's, there's nothing like high school basketball in the Midwest. Yeah, and I totally agree with that, and – I, I just had I, I ran a clinic out here. I think you I think you knew about it. I think we uh, over email or stuff like that. You knew about our Legends Clinic 
Um, and we had, you know, one of the coaches from, uh, is from Missouri, Jared Hunsinger. He's a, a girls coach out in Missouri, a really fine one. And, um, he was talking about at their coaches clinic in Missouri, it's packed. There must be, I mean, every coach in Missouri is going to it, but you know what? It's not like that in every parts of the country. Why, why is there more of a coaching emphasis in certain parts of the country than others? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I, I, I think it has something to do with, with uh, at least in the Midwest, with, with the, the history of the Big Ten. Um, you know, in fact, I, I, I was mentioning high, high school basketball in Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois. Also, I've had a lot of opportunities to spend time in Wisconsin. In fact, right. I, I, was, I was very uh, honored to speak at their state association coaches clinic last year in, uh, in, in the Wisconsin Dells area. And there, there were 900 coaches there. I mean, I, I was stunned that coaches uh, turn out in those numbers. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with the tradition of, of, of the college basketball in those states. You know, in Kentucky, obviously, University of Kentucky and Ohio State and, you know, Xavier, Cincinnati, and, you know, all the, all the colleges in Illinois. You know, there's just a, a deep-rooted tradition in the Midwest. And, you know, you go up to Wisconsin, Wisconsin high school basketball has, has gotten really strong in the last 10 or 15 years, great coaches and, you know, really good players. And so, yeah, it, there's just something about uh, Midwestern basketball that uh, brings out the the best in, in the high school kids and also brings out the best in the coaches. But uh, coach, what, what I was, I was talking about was the, the purity of the game, purity of coaching, which I don't think is prevalent as much in certain States. And that is it. And, I just think there's certain coaches, certain areas of the country where the teaching of the game and the values of the game are really high. Um, and I know you probably just, you, you spoke about it, but why is that in certain parts of the country? Is it just the deep rooted traditions or, or what? Well, I, I think, you know, the Midwestern values, um, you know, the, you, you have hardworking people, not that there aren't hardworking people in other parts of the country, obviously, but I just think there's, you know, the small town traditions of, you know, everything revolving around the, the high school basketball team. We have uh, deep values and, you know, seeing the, uh, I think the, the, the general appeal of basketball obviously is such that the fans are right on top of the action and there are no helmets and no, uh, you know, no shoulder pads or, you know, no caps to, you can see the emotion and you can see that you can be a part of the passion by sitting close to the action. And I think that, that allure is something that really appeals to, to the fans. And, um, you know, you just see it in, uh, in, in, like I said, in Friday night, high school basketball in the Midwest, um, you know, just, uh, you know, I think it reflects the, the values of the, uh, of the Midwest it reflects the values of the communities. Yeah, absolutely. Coach, tell me about your coaching for character program. I want to, uh, I want to hear more about that. And how does it improve a player-coach relationship for for coaches who are listening? Yeah, well, I, uh, you know, our overriding mission, and I think it's really important uh, for coaches to really uh, drill down and, and and find out what what is their overriding purpose and their overriding mission, and, and the why 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 is it that you've chosen to coach? And I think once you're able to identify that and 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 really uh, really verbalize it then everything uh, is an out, outgrowth of, of that why or, or that, that purpose, overriding mission. 
And, and for me, it, it, as I said, that was what drew me into the game in the first place. I saw uh, coaching as an incredible opportunity to use something that a young person wants to really give them what they need, right? I mean, they want to participate in basketball or in sports, and you can use that as a tool to really give them what they need. And, and, and obviously what I'm most interested in is, is, is character development and, and forming. In my, in my case, I've coached boys and, and men, young men. Uh, so it's forming young men in, in, in virtue. And, uh, and it transcends winning on the scoreboard. You know, we like to say at Northridge that athletics at Northridge are not just about the scoreboard. They're about growing up. And so that's not to minimize winning on the scoreboard. Uh, we see that as a byproduct of our overall purpose and process of helping a young person learn about themselves, learn about their strengths, learn about their weaknesses, learn about what it is they have to do to become more complete as, 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 as a person. And so we exist as coaches for that purpose you know, to, to help young boys become hopefully great men someday who can be counted on to serve others. That's my personal mission statement. Um, and so, uh, again, not to minimize the importance of winning on the scoreboard, uh, that, you know, we have to teach our teams and our individuals to prepare and to work and to execute to win on the court. However, winning on the scoreboard is always at the service of character development and growth and virtue. And, and that's why we see it and, or how we see it. Um, you know, simply as I tell our players every year, you know, we could go 31 and 0 this year and win every game by 15 or 20 points and win this, the coveted state championship. But if you're not a better person, you're not a better man at the end of the season as a result of this experience, then I feel that we have failed uh, our purpose. Um, so, the, you know, winning is great and winning is important and winning gives coaches and programs credibility so that their messages have greater impact. But at the end of the day, uh, what's the overriding purpose? And that's why I've tried to use that coaching for character moniker as something that describes uh, why we do what we do and, and how we go about doing it. And, and tell us coaches how you know, we can have all, of course I have, things on the wall. We have our values on the wall, but man, you have to be intentional, right? Coach, you got to teach it every day. You got to fight for it every day, right? Yeah. Every day. And that's it. I mean, it's yeah. gotta, it has to permeate Kevin. It has to permeate everything you do, right? From the way you interact with the players, from the way you interact with your staff, how you plan your practices, how you deal with the situations and the challenges of a season, right? We we've coached long enough. You know, anybody who's coached a year or two knows that, there are going to be, you know, moments where you feel great uh, elation over a win. And there's going to be other moments when you're going to be disappointed over a loss or the effort of the team or the effort of a player. So how do you deal with all these things that occur over the course of the season? And that's why you have to be deeply rooted in your purpose and your mission. And so for us, you know, we talk a lot about the three pillars of our program and, and which are commitment, responsibility, and work. Those are the three core pillars on which our program stands. And to me, we cannot accomplish our overriding purpose of helping our student athletes grow in, in character unless we hold our players accountable to those three pillars. 
you know, commitment. To me, if, if, if someone said um, you can only teach one character quality or character trait this season, what would it be? It would be that. It would be that we can teach a young man how to be committed. And again, uh, participating in basketball or in a, in a interscholastic sport, it's an, elect, it's an elective activity, right? No one's required to do it in school. Uh, it's, it's not a right. It's a privilege. So if we can teach this young person that once they say yes, their yes means yes, or their no means no. Commitment is something that you do not until something better comes along, but it's something that you do in terms of giving an endeavor your best uh, effort and your prioritized attention over the course of the season. So again, commitment, responsibility, and work are the things that we really strive to bring out in our, in our players. Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing that because every coach I talk to, I want to know what their values are because I'm, I'm always learning what the best do, and I think that's so important. How many coaches, though, come into the season without a philosophy, right? And I, yeah. So I, I, think, I think you have to – what you're sharing is, man, coaches, get out there and make sure that you find out what values are important to you, not what somebody else does, right? Exactly. And, you know, that, that's one of the things that I, I really uh, have done over the course of my career and, and, and have done uh, more. Uh, I mean, I do every day, really, is I spend time in solitude and I try to take a notebook and spend quiet time uh, just evaluating, you know, uh, asking questions of, uh, of, of myself. And, and then this is how I've arrived at our, our, our philosophy or our overriding mission or, or purpose is, you know, when you hit those uh, rumble strips, so to speak, on the road, you know, what, are, what what's your foundation? What are you rooted in? Why are you doing this, you know? And if, uh, you know, one of the exercises, we, we run a, a, a little workshop that we call Coaching for Character Workshop, and we run it with our athletic coaches here at Northridge, but I've also uh, started running it with other coaches in the area that are that are interested and want to come. And again, it's a free thing that we offer. And, and the purpose, we, we spent two hours, and I it's kind of an interactive workshop and, and my goal, the purpose of that workshop is to help coaches arrive at what their purpose is. And again, it's different for each one of us. Maybe you would word it differently than I would, but if, if you don't have a, a handle on your purpose, then you're going to drift with the, with the current or you're going to, the strongest winds are going to topple you over, you know, the foundation of coaching and the foundation of, 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 uh, of, uh, of a team is its core uh, purpose or its core philosophy. So for me, this is what we're rooted in. So when we have those difficult seasons or we have a, a difficulty in dealing with a player or, uh, you know, a challenging uh, obstacle that, you know, we always fall back and, and, and rely on that and that core purpose that we're here to help our, our young guys grow in character and, and become men of great virtue. Yes, sir. And I, um, I love the first value, and that is commitment, because that that takes that comes with a cost, right? So everything in life has a cost, right? So if you're going to commit to the team, particularly in the off season, you're going to have to sacrifice your time with your friends or whatever. That's that's hard. That's a hard lesson for them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and you know, Kevin, you just hit on the key word there, and that's the word sacrifice, right? There's no commitment without sacrifice. And there's no character development without commitment and sacrifice. At the end of the day, that's what commitment means.
And that commitment requires sacrifice. And so for us, uh, you know, we expect uh, our players, for example, to, to be at practice. I don't think that's an unreasonable expect, expectation. I don't think that's sure. that's disordered to expect players to be at practice. And, you know, when there's competing activities, well, that's where decisions have to be made and where sacrifices have to be made. Now, of course, I mean, if, if it's an extenuating circumstance, a family issue or whatever, we understand that. Okay. But those should be rare over the course of a season. You have to commit in order to build that bond with your teammates. And, uh, you know, there's opportunities to do other things and be involved in other activities, but, but still, you know, being committed to your teammates builds trust and it, it builds a collective responsibility, which is the second of our three pillars, having that responsibility to realize that others are counting on you and it's both individual and collective. <clears throat> and when you, and when you build, when you have responsibility, you build trust and you build accountability among teammates. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so true. And then of course your last one is work. And I think, you can't go to work unless you are committed and you're responsible to your teammates. Um, so I, I definitely that I agree with, I, I love how you phrase that coach. Tell me about um, you coached in college and you had a very successful uh, career in college. And then you went to the high school level. Sometimes it's just the opposite high school to college. Tell us how the transition to how you went from college to the high school and what did you learn from your college coaching that you are now applying that to your high school? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, well I, first of all, I had a great experience at the college level. Uh, not without its challenges, not without its disappointments at times, not without its frustrations, but I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, I met great people. I had a chance to work with some outstanding coaches and outstanding players had a chance to coach in the NCAA tournament, coach in the NIT tournament, uh, win conference championships. I mean, it was great. But I also experienced the downside of college athletics. You know, I was fired as the head coach at Division One in 19. It made me take a step back and realize, uh, again, what what is your foundation? What are What is your overall purpose and mission? And I realized then that it wasn't about where I coached uh, as much as it was why I was coaching. And, I, and the reason I got into it in the first place was because I wanted to impact the lives, hopefully, of young people and make them better. And I realized at that point in my career that I could do that as well at the high school level as I could anywhere else. And in fact, uh, I realized that there might be a greater need at the high school level for a coach who places his emphasis on character development and growth and virtue. And so I continued to coach uh, after 94. I, I continued to coach the college. Decided that uh, I had spent a lot of time away from home. Uh, my wife and I had a long conversation or a series of conversations about, about it. Our family was still uh, young. And so I decided that maybe it was time to get off the, uh, the merry-go-round of, of college coaching and come back to the high school level. And I accepted my current position at Northridge Prep in 2004. I've completed, last year, completed my 15th year. This is my 16th year here. And I can honestly say I have not regretted my decision one time. I, I mean, not that 
everything has always gone well. Mm-hmm. That's life. There's always, you know, there's always challenges, but, uh, but I've had a great experience. But w- what I learned about uh, uh, from the college experience that I brought to the high school level, really, I, I learned so much uh, from the people I coached with. Uh, Jim Cruz, as I mentioned, also mentioned, uh, uh, coached with uh, Ed Schilling, who uh, I coached with at Wright State University, and, and um, he was a very successful high school coach in Indiana, and coached at the university at Indiana university and also at UCLA. And, you know, what I learned just uh, the importance of attention to detail, uh, the importance of, uh, of having a, a clear vision for how you want your team to play. I think that's what I learned the most from Jim uh, Cruz. He, he really uh, had a very clear understanding and a clear vision of how he wanted his team to perform, especially under pressure and especially in the last three to four minutes of the most important game of the season. And, and, and Jim taught me that, that uh, you should uh, see that in your eyes, in, in your mind's eye, you should see that how your team's going to perform. And then every day in practice, you have to, um, you know, fashion your practice in such a way that you're trying to get your team to play at that level. And I, that's what I've brought back to high school, among other things, you know, player development, uh, ideas on offense and defense, uh, so, you know, the, the uh, I look at my 19 years in, in college coaching at the Division One level primarily as, as as an opportunity to get my Ph.D. in coaching. And now I've got an opportunity to, to do a lot of those things at the high school level. And it's been great. Yeah, and I know you've been around some great minds, but uh, I got to tell you, on my end, I used your spot offense and your one three one. So I still use the one three one. I don't use your spot offense anymore, Coach. I'm actually going more – spread, dribble drive, and so forth. But um, I, I love kind of getting ideas from other coaches. I, I, I spent a lot of time studying other coaches on what works. Why is it important for coaches to share what they do for other coaches? Well, you know, at the end of the day, uh, there are very few, maybe if any, but the very few truly innovative thinkers in, in, in the game of basketball, right? Some people might like to think they've innovated things, but at the end of the day, I, I heard um, I heard Ralph Miller, the uh, who's now obviously deceased Hall of Fame coach at Oregon State and Iowa and many places, and he once said that uh, the uh, formula for creation of new things in basketball is to take two known things, whether it's on offense or defense or whatever, and put them together and give them a new name, right? So he, <laughs> I thought it was kind of a clever way of describing it. And um, so, I mean, all of us, by, by nature – uh, and by virtue of our profession, you know, we, we learn from each other and we borrow from each other. And maybe we take a concept from one coach and put it together with a different concept from, with another coach. And again, we gave it, we give it our own name or whatever it might be. So I, I think this process of being an ongoing learner and lifelong learner is really important because the game changes. I mean, obviously the, the basics of the game will never change in, in my opinion. Um, you know, what, uh, you know, the game is a game of percentages, the game of possessions. And so the, 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 the essence of basketball will never change, but how you arrive at that essence will change because, uh, the game, you know, as we change some of the rules, the addition of the three point line, for example, the shot clock, uh, you know, th- these are, uh, in, uh, changes in the game that do affect how the game is played, but the, but the percentages, the possessions, the elements that are uh, going to dictate winning and losing are still the same today as they were 
probably uh, since the earliest years of the of the game. I, I can't imagine there was a, a bigger uh, change in the game than when they eliminate the jump ball after every made basket, right? You, you know, they actually, <laughs> well, well, you know, I mean, we're, we're, you know, that, that changed the game and made it a full court game. Right. But other than that, I mean, um, you know, a few rules changes here and there, widening of the lane, you know, the three point arc shot clock, there've been four or five, maybe six significant rule changes, but the essence of the game has remained, remained the same. So I suggest that coaches work hard at their craft, develop the knowledge, they need to become, uh, you know, knowledgeable in their in their field and impart that to their to, to their teams. Yeah, and I love that. And I I think I think you're right. I think you got to gather as much information as possible through through live clinics, not as much YouTube, but take bits and pieces, and you have to use you got to got to utilize your own brain to figure out, hey, how can I fit this in to my system. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's, I mean, that's the hardest thing to do, right coach. Yeah, I absolutely. And, and, you know, everything uh, to you know, revolves around your, your personnel, right. At the end of the day, um, you know, there's a lot of things that, that I would like to do that we can't do right? well, because, you know, whatever limitation, I mean, every, every team has its limitations, obviously, no matter how talented they are. And that's the coach's job to evaluate and evaluate accurately and then tailor, his system uh, to, you know, the personnel that he has. Now, in our case here at Northridge, given the nature of school that we are and the high academic rigor here, our average ACT is 28. Uh, we're small. Um, you know, we get a certain type of, of athlete year in, year out. So, our, you know, you mentioned our one three one zone, for example, and our some of the matching principles that we aspect of our of our of our program uh, our offense you know has changed over the years that I've been here again trying to suit some of those things to the strengths of our personnel but yeah you're absolutely right Kevin I mean coaches need to get out and not just go, uh, hopefully attend live clinics but also get out and watch other teams practice meet with sure. other coaches and it's incumbent upon all of us to share with each other and help each other out professionally yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think um, I think by doing that, like by you helping me, Coach, I think you learn, don't you? I mean, you know what I'm saying? You, you learn more about yourself. Absolutely. We, we, we all learn together, right? I mean, there's no better way to learn than to, than to teach, right? Whether it's teaching your team or teaching other coaches or, you know, sharing with somebody else. You know, the more you go through things, that's when the questions develop. And you, you get, you uh, gain great, greater insight into the things that you're doing. You know, the more I, you know, we've been playing the one, three, one zone in our program now for 15 seasons. And every year I glean something new, a new insight, a better way to play a particular action. You know, and the more I've shared about the one, three, one with coaches, you know, coaches have asked questions and that causes me to think right about, you know, what the possible, solutions or answers might be so to me it's an ongoing process and you never really arrive right until you take um one one three one we're a one two two ball press matter of fact we press from i mean all over the court and i love your one three one we actually use that as kind of a change up but talk about at your school why you use the one three one and kind of tell the coaches here how they can use it in their programs sure you know the um when, when I was in college coaching, um, 
it's, you know, throughout the course of my, my years, but even especially in the last maybe seven or eight years, I was then thinking about coming back to high school and I, I, I wondered, well, what would I do defensively? And I, I really studied closely uh, John Cheney's teams at Temple. And uh, I, I, I really believe that, that uh, John Cheney and, and, uh, and Jim Maloney, who was his longtime assistant, who, uh, who passed uh, uh, prematurely of a heart attack, I believe. But, you know, they were just great zone coaches. Uh, Don Casey also, who was a coach at Temple before John Cheney. And I studied the, the John Cheney zone and his matchup and a lot of it out of a 1-3-1 set. And I became convinced after, after a long study that, uh, John Cheney had really arrived at the answer defensively for for a coach who wanted to be a zone coach, and I, I just happened to think that the zone defense, and some of the variations that come out of it, uh, some of the matching principles and so on, to me it's a superior defense, especially at the high school level. You know, at the college level, I think the man to man has to be an important part of your package, but at the high school level, when you're dealing with uh, high school level players where you're really trying to stop maybe one or two outstanding players on the other team and they have a lot of other complementary types. Uh, I feel the zone defense is really advantageous and, and it's been that for us. I keep very detailed statistics over the course of the last 15 years and our defensive numbers have been consistently very, very good. Even in, in years when we have been just a few games over 500 or whatever, um, we still have very solid defensive performance. And I, I just feel that, again, the percentages and, and the possessions, uh, I, I feel that the zone defense uh, covers the, the most uh, uh, high percentage areas of the floor is the best. I, I think that you can take away the inside game without fouling, and you can still get out and cover the three-point shot. And I, I still believe that if you, if you can control the area from the three-point line to the basket, advantage defensively and so that's what we we attempt to do uh the one three one i like because you always have a middleman who's responsible for covering the middle the middle of the floor the post area uh you have a, a, a player on top that we call the chaser we have a player on the baseline that we call a tail and we can put uh, athletic players in those positions and then if we have uh, a good chaser and a good middle and a good tail which is the spine or the backbone of the defense, then it really allows our, our two wings to, uh, to really fly around and, and create a lot of havoc and disruption for the other team's offense. So, um, so it's been a good, off, a good defense for us. You know, I also think of all the zones that are available, uh, there seem to be fewer attacks against the 1-3-1 than there are against uh, the 2-3 uh, or 3-2 or 1-2-2. Two, two. So, uh, the 1-3-1's been very good to us. And, again, we, we do a lot of things out of it. We, we have a lot of variations in our coverages, and we also do some matching out of it. And I, I believe that it's, uh, it's really held us well and served us well over the course of the last 15 years. Yeah, I totally agree, Coach. And I, I really believe you and I, I – I, you have actually sold me on the zone. Um, I just think it's hard. We, now, we're in a small charter school as well. Um, I think it's hard with matchups, man yep. to man, because oh, we we play against teams. Now we have a pretty good team, but we play against a lot of teams that are that are more athletic than us. Um, I think it 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 helps on your scattering reports. I think the zone you can hide players. I hate to say that, okay, no, it's, it's, you can hide players and you can kind of put them in spots where their strengths are, right? 
Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And, you know, the other thing, too, Kevin, you hit on, on an important point earlier when you talked about how you've moved more to a, a space, a spacing and driving offense. Yes, sir. Yeah, and, and, and you know, that's, to me, the, the name of the game today is you have to stop dribble penetration. And uh, the zone inherently does that just by the by the, the nature of, of the defense. You, you're able to to help stop the drive. And, you know, I look at the way players uh, develop today and the way they train. And, um, you know, think about it. I mean, guys train a lot on individual moves, you know, dribbling around cones and chairs and, you know, using one-on-one moves and so on. And uh, as you said so well, that uh, the man-to-man defense makes matchups difficult, especially if the other team has a real spread concept offensively. It's hard to stop the drive. So we have found that we can really um, contain the drive well and and do that out of the zone. And uh, I don't think people pass the ball as well today as they once did. And at the end of the day, in order to beat a good zone, you have to pass the basketball. So the more they want to drive and beat us off the dribble, I think the the more we're at the advantage. And absolutely. And I know because I've seen all your videos uh, and so forth. And it's not – sometimes people say zone, they equate that with soft. It's you still got to get in your stance. you still got to keep your hands high. you still got to contest – it's still defense, right, Coach? I mean, absolutely, you just got to – oh, Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely right. I mean, the, the idea of, of a zone being kind of a – you know, like I, I had a, a coaching friend of mine who called it a coat hanger defense, you know, because the players <laughs> would stand there like they're coat hangers. And no, I mean, a, a good a good defense, whether zone, man-to-man, matchup, combination, whatever, is, is begins with a good stance and good footwork and good anticipation and, and um, you know, uh, put, having players in position where they can get their hands on the ball and you can't do that unless you're in a stance with good vision. And so, yeah, all, all those same fundamentals that, one would teach in, in, in developing good man-to-man defense are necessary in developing a good zone. And uh, to do anything but that would, I think, uh, lead to a defense that wouldn't be effective. Yes, absolutely. Hey, let's talk about practice. What is your perfect practice? And how do you design and implement your key offense and defensive values in your practices? Yeah. yeah good that we do practices in fact i like to to call it it's competition based team development and and at the heart of our practice is competition everything we do is competitive and uh and competition can come in many different ways in practice it could be competition in terms of a team having a goal uh and the number of shots they have to make or pass a standard that we've set or it can be competition between the players uh one-on-one two-on-two three-on-three etc but we also do a lot of advantage disadvantage uh type of uh work and practice so it's not unusual for us to go three against four four against five five against seven um one of my favorite drills in practice kevin is to take our our top eight players. Now we practice with about 19 guys in the gym. We okay. have the 19 best, the 19 best players typically in the program, freshmen through seniors are in the gym together. And then we have a separate uh, freshman JV type practice, but we, we have 19 guys saying the gym, I take the top eight varsity players with me. And then I give my assistants, the other say 10 or 11 guys. And we play four, 
or three against four or four against five full court. So the top eight varsity players say we'll put four of them on the floor. My assistant will put five of the other remaining guys uh, against them, and we'll scrimmage four against five, five against four. In other words, we're always at a disadvantage, and we'll we'll, we'll scrimmage for maybe two or three, uh, you know, changes of, of possessions, and then as soon as I see the right opportunity, I've I blow the whistle, send four new guys in. He sends five new guys in, and we continue this game for maybe eight or ten minutes and keep score. And maybe we'll, uh, you know, keep scoring the number of turnovers or rebounds or whatever. So we score everything, we compete in everything that we do, um, because to me, competition is at the heart of development. You know, no, nobody develops in a casual or uh, you know recreational environment. You, know, you, can, you, you develop in, in, under competition. Um, when we scrimmage five on five, for example, if and now I've got, I always put our top eight players together, and we're scrimmaging against the um, the, the uh, JV players of the second group here, and I've got my top eight with me, and I send out five, he sends out five. Well, we we, we scrimmage in in sets of ten or twenty possessions, and we chart every possession. And then I give the the varsity players that are with me, I give them a goal for those 10 possessions. So, for example, they have to score 16 points in 10 possessions, but they can't can't, can't give up more than seven or eight points in that time, in in those possessions. And then, of course, there's consequences if we we don't meet our goals. Uh, The second team never has consequences, but the varsity top eight do. So, again, I'm just trying to make practice as challenging and competitive and as difficult as possible, because at the end of the day, that's where you prepare for game night. You prepare for game night and, at practice. You know, I, I've always looked at practice, uh, Kevin, as a bridge. Practice is a bridge between the coach's philosophy and game night. In other words, we have a philosophy of how the game should be played. We have this vision of what our team should look like on the floor. Okay, and then we have game night. All right, so what's the bridge between those two things? Well, the bridge between your philosophy or your vision and game night is your practice session. And, that, and how closely that practice session carries out your vision and carries out what you expect to see on game night, I think the more successful your team is going to be. Yeah, I love that. I'm, I'm writing down my notes here, Coach, on that. Sorry if I have a little delay here, but I love no that. No. Particularly the 10 to 20 position. Hello. Hello. I could. Yep. Yeah, I lost you there, Kevin. I'm I'm off speaker and out of my ears. So. <laughs> gotcha. Not a not a problem at all. Um, I love. I, I tell you what's what's underrated in practices. I think. Um, and tell me if I'm off in this thinking. But let me go back to what you're doing. You're doing kind of a random – I love the, the disadvantage advantage. I love that. That's random. That's – that's. Um, I think it makes the players think and makes the players make decisions on the court. And I think practices should be more game-like. I think most practices these days are too drill-oriented. I think you have to have more game-like. And, and really, sometimes it's just ugly sometimes in practice, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I really learned that lesson when I were again, my mentor, Jim Cruz, and 
Um, when I went to work for him at Evansville, he was coming fresh out of Indiana. And I, I, I expected, well, we're going to see, you know, he worked for and played for coach Knight, you know, at, at that time at the top of the profession, uh, winning national championships and gold medals and so on. And I figured, well, we're going to be, you know, I'm going to learn a lot of new dr- great drills and, Boy, it didn't take me long, Kevin, to figure out that, you know, we played the game one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, four-on-four, mm-hmm. five-on-five, you know, three-on-four, four-on-five. You know, we, th- this is basically what I learned from him. And, and competition was at the heart of, you know, I, I know there's a real uh, trend today to talk about, uh, about games-based, uh, you know, practices. And, and, uh, and, you know, Bob Knight was doing that 40 years, 50 years ago or whatever. And, and I learned that through Jim Cruz that the practice, uh, again, without competition, there's no development in my opinion. And again, you don't always have to compete body on body, you know, player against player, but even having standards within your shooting drills. We, we have a four minute shooting drill that we've run every single day in practice for 15 years. There hasn't, okay. there hasn't been a practice where we haven't done it. And, and we, you know, the, the players have to make so many, it's a team drill and they have to shoot from four spots, one minute at each spot. And they have to make a certain number of shots. And if they make the shot, the, the, the goal for the, for the day, great. If they don't, there's a consequence. And I can honestly tell you, there hasn't, you know, there's been one day that we've done this drill where the players aren't cheering for each other, where they're not trying to get the goal without looking at the clock to see how many more, seconds are left and again competition to me brings out it can bring out the worst in some people for sure but it should bring out the best in in, in your team and should bring out the best in your players in practice and so again we're always competing against something whether it's a standard the clock or each other and that's how we develop our team yeah and I think you need to compete in everything but there is a time right coach that uh, for example, um, I like to come right at – I know it sounds crazy – right at the beginning of practice and throw, throw a game at my team just to kind of see how their minds are. And then I kind of – I go right into the skill. So basically I scrimmage, I skill, then I go right back to – and that's how I like my practices. I know it sounds kind of crazy. No, but- actually, you know what? You're, you're taking notes, so am I. I'm going <laughs> to write that one down. So you start practice with – with the with game situation? Yes, sir. And I don't do it all the time because we usually have our warm-up. And th- but I think after a while, plays, play, or my players get comfortable and they get lazy. And what I do is I'll throw something right at the beginning, get them to compete. Because it, to me, I think the worst thing is coming out the first quarter soft, not ready to play. So I think coaches have to teach that. So I, I see what they're made of right from the beginning. And then I go, okay, boom, we're going to work on pass cut. We're going to work on layups, my layup drill. Then I go right back into um, a scrimmage. And I do that throughout the practice. Um, and it's just, that's what I feel comfortable with. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. And it's something we, we'll, we'll, we'll add to our practice regimen this year. You know, it's funny. You mentioned about uh, coming out kind of sluggish at, either at halftime or, or at the beginning of the game. One of the things that, that we started doing uh, when I came to Northridge is uh, when we do our scrimmaging, for example, let's say we're going five on five, and then we're like I said, we're we're uh, we're, we're scoring all the possessions and goals and so forth. I actually put out chairs for both teams, just like you would in a game. Uh, 
And and my my reasoning there is that, you know, when I was growing up, you know, you never dared to sit and practice, right? You know, you could, you always had to stand and you couldn't drink water and so forth, you know, and, you know, now we are just the opposite. You know, we have water bottles everywhere in the practice session. We want our players to be completely hydrated, but, but we also put chairs out during our, 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 our scrimmaging because I want the player to get in the habit of having to sit down after a substitution and then, you know, maybe get a, a drink of water. And then as we're scrimmaging, I send them back into the game, just like you would in the game night. Right. So they have, yeah, to, come off. Yeah, you have yeah. to come off the, come off the bench and, and be ready to go. So I think the more that we can do to approximate, uh, you know, game night, I think the better off we we're going to be. In fact, I, uh, um, talking to again, mentors, you know, Dick Bennett, uh, when he was at uh, Wisconsin Stevens Point and Green Bay and University of Wisconsin was a mentor of mine as well. And I remember Dick uh, started doing something in practice where he would have, uh, you know, his practice for about an hour or so. And then halfway through the practice, he would take the team and sit them down and talk to them for about five or six or seven minutes, just like you would at halftime. And then sure. get him get him back up and send him back out for the second half of practice. So, again, I think coaches, um, the more you can do to to simulate game conditions, I think the better off we're going to be. Yeah, and coach, don't you feel like that? I mean, I go, I watch a lot of practices, and I go, man, this that's not like a game. I mean, don't <laughs> don't. I mean, I mean, almost like a, we have five timeouts per practice, and sometimes I have my players. Hey, you guys need a thirty, okay? I give my players a lot. I, I, I do little things like that to try to simulate a lot of games. I don't know. I guess after 30 years, I guess I maybe I figured something out. But I try not to over drill. I try to teach the game. But you also got to teach fundamentals as well, too. So it's kind of a fine line there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and sometimes the fundamentals, are, you know, for example, shooting. I mean, you, you have to, you know, you have sure. to work on shooting, work on form and technique. And, and you have to do that with other fundamentals as well. And, but, you know, I, I think what you're, you're saying is, is so true, Kevin, I, you know, it's the, the law of specificity, right? You know, the law of specificity should, should override your practice, you know, work specifically on the things that show up in the game, right? Why, why would we ever do something in practice that doesn't show up in a game or only shows up once or twice in a game. Right. And so I, I, one of the things I try to tell our players, look, let's, let's get good at the things that happen the most in the game. Right. Are there going to be a lot of rebounds in the game? Are there going to be a lot of passes? Are there going to be a lot of, you know, opportunities you have to dry, uh, guard a guy off the dribble, et cetera. You know, let's get good at these things that happen frequently and not worry so much about the things that don't happen very often or happen infrequently. And, you know, let's get good at the things that happen the most. And again, the law of specificity, I think really addresses that in our practice. Yeah, absolutely. Coach. I only have a couple more questions because I know you're a busy guy. You got to get home and, um, I know I gotta I gotta eat dinner and so forth uh, with my fiance, okay. and I I really appreciate you taking the time out. Oh, my um, pleasure. My other question is, and I just call it uh, OKP, which is is what kind of player? So what I call our kind of player? What kind of player are you looking for at Northridge to be in your program? Well, well, that's a wonderful question. Um, well, I look at it this way. I mean, there are really three areas that make up a player, right? There's the physical aspect, right? The athletic ability of a player, right? So the ability to run and jump and his quickness and 
you know, his uh, reach and uh, his height and all the physical aspects that, uh, that, that make up a player. Right. And then of course there's, there's the skills of the game, the, the passing, the dribbling, shooting, rebounding, defense, et cetera. And then thirdly, there's the mental aspect of the game, right? There's the, the attitude, there's the, the, uh, all the intangible qualities that go into making a, a good player. And what I like to, in terms of the, uh, the, our kind of player, well, you know, if he's been blessed with, with a lot of uh, natural athletic ability, my goodness, who, who doesn't want that in a player, right? Uh, you know, if, if a guy has uh, the ability to run and jump and, and he's got long, he's long and, and has, uh, you know, quickness and anticipation skills that are, are natural and innate, that's, that's wonderful. But th- as I tell our players all the time, of the three areas, that's the one you're probably going to improve in the least, right? I mean, you just aren't going to, you you know, what drills are you going to do to grow to be six, five? I mean, you just aren't any, any <laughs> right. drills for, for that. Right. So that's to me, the least important of, of the three. Uh, although we try to, you know, put our guys in the weight room and get stronger, but at the end of the day, there's just a, a limit to how much you can grow in that area. You know, the second of course is the skill level, as I mentioned. And that to me is an area where you can make great improvements. And so we, we our, our kind of player is a player that that's, um, that can pass, uh, that, that can dribble when necessary. And then we, pr- we put a high premium on, on shooting. I, I really believe that shooting, uh, as it's been said by other coaches, is, uh, makes up for a multitude of sins. You know, shooting is a great equalizer in basketball, in my opinion. Uh, I've heard, you know, coaches say that, you know, the more you can shoot the ball or the better you can shoot the ball, the taller you get and the quicker you become, you know, just because people have to guard you accordingly. So shooting is something we place uh, a premium on. And I would, our kind of player would be one that, that, uh, that can shoot the basketball and can pass and dribble when necessary. will be a good defensive player. But then there's the third category. And that to me is the most important. And that's the mental aspect of the game and the attitude and the character, because I really believe that, at the heart of winning championships is character and that our kind of player is the kind of guy who, uh, you know, is, is unselfish. He's team oriented, uh, someone who uh, defers to others when he should, uh, that is in, more interested in the success of his teammates than he is in his own success. Uh, someone who's uh, a competitor, you know, he's a, a relentless uh, you know, fighter that uh, doesn't, you know, give up until the final buzzer sounds. And I always tell our players of the three categories, you can make the least amount of improvement probably in the physical skills. You can make a fair share of improvement in the basketball skills, but the area that every single player on our team can improve the most in the quickest and shortest amount of time is in the, in the mental part of the game and the attitude. And that's the one that we work on the most. And, um, you know, we're constantly, um, you know, striving to get better in that area. So that, that's our kind of player, a guy that, uh, that you can be counted on, that you can lean on, that when the you know, going gets really tough, he's the guy that steps up to the plate and, and uh, helps his team when, uh, when the hell, his help is most needed. So that would be our, our OKP, our, our kind of player. Yeah, I love that. Uh, now, if you have a player that does not have high character and attitude, but has talent, do you keep them? Or, or do you say, Hey, I'm going to work with this kid. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I essentially don't, don't, don't believe that there are any, any, any hopeless situations, right. That, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that there's, there's no lost causes. And, you know, I, I believe in, in, in giving second chances uh, and, and, and I give a lot of second chances, you know, I, I don't know about giving third and fourth chances. I think at some point you have to see growth and you have to see, 
um, you know, improvement. And I think if someone's really trying and you see an, an honest and sincere effort to grow and to improve, then I, I can work with someone who's, who's willing to be worked with. Now, if a guy, uh, well, you know, is a, you know, we have a little paradigm that we use sometimes in looking at our players and we say, is a guy able and is he willing? You know, if he's able, in other words, if he has the talent and he's willing, well, geez, we've got the tiger by the tail. We've got the perfect player, right? He's able and he's willing. But if we have a guy that's able and he's unwilling, and in other words, he won't work with us and he won't uh, be receptive to our coaching, he's not really making an effort, I, I think there, there comes a point we just have to part ways because that now becomes a detriment to the entire team. You know, um, if you sometimes have guys who are unable but willing, you know, well, you know, if he's part of the team, then even if he's unable but he's willing and he's trying hard, then you pat that guy in the back. Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform, including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram. I mean, the, the able and willing, <laughs> to me, that's a, that's a great way to evaluate players. Um, cause I see that and I have to deal with that, um, many times on my end and so forth. That's great wisdom. I appreciate you sharing that. My, my, my next question, my last question is, it's called help your buddy. What do you do to teach selfless attitude and teamwork in your program? Well, yeah, that's always the challenge, isn't it? I mean, we're always trying to teach guys to take, you know, the, one of the most important things that we emphasize along that line, Kevin, is we, we just try and tell our guys that you have to take the focus off of yourself, right? At the end of the day, you know, we're all in, you know, in search of, of, of happiness, right? And happiness comes when you take the focus off of yourself and put it on the people around you. And, you know, I find that when I um, have my, you know, my most difficult days are when I'm just too focused on myself and what I need and what I'm trying to get done. And, and, you know, and when I take the focus off myself and put it on my wife or put it on my children or put it on my colleagues or put it on our players, I find that my days go a heck of a lot better. And, and that's really one of the overriding principles that we try to emphasize with our players in terms of becoming selfless is, you know, take the focus off yourself. And, and, you know, you know, I always find it interesting how, uh, you know, NBA players, you know, here guys at the highest level with the best talent that have accomplished so much individually, it gets close to the end of their careers and they're, they haven't won a championship and they're trying to do whatever they can to win a championship. And so what, what motivates that? And I, I've always felt that what it is, is, is this intrinsic need that we all have as human beings to share in, 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 in a great experience or a great accomplishment. I think, I think that really speaks to the human spirit, right? That, that when you accomplish, you know, great things or insurm overcome insurmountable odds, but you do it together with others, right? It's not, you know, I, I overcome an insurmountable odd by myself and okay, there's a certain level of satisfaction or fulfillment, I suppose in, in that, but boy, when I'm able to, to, uh, to, Or magnificent, and I, I'm able to share that with another group of people. My goodness, the the, the level of fulfillment and, and and accomplishment and satisfaction goes through the ceiling, and I, that's why I think 
players who have not won a championship in their careers but have accomplished a lot individually strive to be on a team and are even willing to take you know less money to be on a team that can win a championship and i and i think to try and, and communicate that message to our players that look you know um, we're not created as human beings to live on an island by ourselves. You know, we're created to to be relational and to interact with others and to help others and to, um, you know, to, to share with others our experiences. And I think the more we can teach that concept to the young people that we coach, I think the more we're doing them a great service, not only in terms of building a successful team, but more importantly, on how they're going to approach the rest of their lives. Because at the end of the day, they're going to be on teams the rest of their lives, right? Whether that team is a family or a, um, you know, uh, an office that they're working in with colleagues or, you know, part of a, a church or part of a, uh, a neighborhood or whatever it might be, you know, we're, we're always going to be team members the rest of our lives. And the sooner we learn to take the focus off of ourselves, put it on the person or the people around us and help them make their lives better, the happier we're going to be. So we really try and drive that point home with our players. Yeah, I mean that is. I mean that to me, that's so true. And I actually, I, I wanted to share with you. Our we we have one word every year that our team goes by, and this year is humility, mm. um, because I think, I mean, really for myself, for my players, I think humility is such a key to success. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I think uh, you know if, if we, I think humility, um, you know, keeps us grounded, and humility is obviously much greater than pride. Um, when we're humble, you know, there's a, a proverb that says the, the pride comes before the fall, right? There's a, an ancient proverb that says pride comes before the fall. And, you know, when, when we're prideful and we're, we're full of ourselves and we're, you know, self-absorbed and focused only on, 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 on me, then that, that's usually when we stumble and we fall, right? And so humility is, is a great virtue. Because it, it, it's, it's being grounded in the truth. And, and the truth, the most basic truth about each one of us as human beings is that we need each other at the bottom, at the end of the day. That there, there's no more basic truth than that. And so when, when, when humility, when, when, when we recognize that we need each other, that's humility. That we need others. That not, no man is an island. No man exists for himself. That we're here to serve others and to help others and to make life better for others. And that's humility in, in practice. And when we can carry that out, that's when great things happen. Yeah, that's well said. I, I'm going to have to tape that and send it to all my players, Coach. You, <laughs> I mean, that's, well, that's well said. And sometimes it's better said from another person, another coach. And I always get different um, opinions and so forth and, and uh, quotes from other people because sometimes we as coaches – Sometimes it's important to kind of reach out to other coaches to send the same message, right? Oh yeah, and you know I, I do that throughout the course of the season. I, I you know I share uh, you know quotes or little uh, snippets from YouTube or you know videos or things that I see on television or ESPN. An interview with you know a certain athlete or whatever it might be or newspaper articles. I mean I'm constantly. Uh, sharing information like that with our players so they can, you know, see that it's, uh, you know, it's, it, this is not just the coach talking, but other people, you know, uh, feel the same way and, and have the same viewpoints. And uh, especially for people who have been very successful in, in their different uh, walks of life. Yeah. So true. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. I know a lot of my coaches are going to try to contact you. What's the best way to contact Will Ray? 
Well, e- email any any uh, any time. My email address is w r e y at Northridge N O R T H R I D G E Prep P R E P. So that's NorthridgePrep.org. W Ray at NorthridgePrep.org, and I try to always respond to my emails within 24 hours, and uh, I'll be happy to hear from other coaches and share whatever I can and also learn from them as well. Yeah, absolutely, Coach. Again, I appreciate you taking the time out and sharing with us uh, because I think the coaching profession needs more of that. And uh, I really enjoy – I picked up so many ideas from you, and I really appreciate you helping me. And uh, you're a true mentor of mine, so I appreciate everything you're doing for the game. Well, thank you very much, Kevin, and uh, it's awfully nice of you to say that. And and, uh, like I said, you're doing a great service for the profession by – by doing these podcasts, I know it's not an easy job and uh, a lot of coaches are benefiting from it, uh, including myself. So thank you very much for, for doing this. Coach Ray, thank you so much. Let's, let's keep in touch and um, I'll send you some links and so forth to how our team's doing. I, and I would love to get some information about how you guys are doing. So particularly on your one, three, one. Absolutely. And listen, if your travels ever bring you up to Chicago, I'd love to get together and have a cup of coffee. And if I'm ever down your way in Atlanta, I might do the same. That'd be great. Coach, thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin. Have a, have right. a great night. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, coaches. This is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball, and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in.